Well, good morning, church family. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 7. As we are continuing our sermon series, the Sermon on the Mount, we're coming very close to being done. Uh, we have a few more uh, weeks of sermons left before we finish out the book. Uh, and at what time we'll actually do just a one-week highlight of what we should take away from the Sermon on the Mount. We, we look to, to honor God through what we say and what we do each and every day. Well, it kind of set the stage this morning as we take a look at um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Uh, we are going to be taking a look at uh, the, the caution, the call for us to beware of false prophets. Uh, if you remember back to the beginning of chapter 7, uh, we talked about the importance of judging rightly. Uh, and how some, when they come to uh, Judges, or yeah, Judges, come to uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, where it says, Judge not that you uh, be not judged, that oftentimes that is taken out of context. Uh, and as we studied that many uh, weeks ago, uh, we, we took and unpacked that for us to realize is that a few things about God in particular is that, uh, first, only God is holy, righteous, and just in all of his ways. And so, therefore, as he uh, takes a look at the world in which he is made, when he takes a look at, at mankind, uh, he is the only one who can wholly, uh, righteously, and justly judge all things. Second, we took a look and we noticed the fact that only God knows and sees all. Uh, because uh, God is in eternity. He, he is not bound by time. And so, therefore, uh, as th- things unfold for us and as we gain knowledge and as we uh, progress in our lives, uh, God is not doing that because God is eternal and he knows all things. Uh, and so, in knowing all things, uh, he can rightly discern situations that oftentimes when we step into them are difficult because we don't have all of the information. Uh, and we only see what we can see with our natural eyes, whereas God looks at the heart. Uh, and so he can see much deeper uh, than we can. And so, again, that makes him um, the one who can rightly and righteously judge all things. Which brought us to our third point was, is that only God is the lawgiver and judge. Because he is the creator over all things. Uh, and therefore, as he looks over his creation, uh, he can look at it and he can judge it rightly. Uh, and as the one who created all things, he is the lawgiver. And so he determines uh, what is right and wrong uh, based off of uh, w- how we look in relation to his eternal law. And therefore, he judges against that. Uh, he does not change his law. Uh, he does not uh, have to morph it because man in his, uh, you know, gain of knowledge uh, is somehow surpassing what God would have thought uh, of or established even before the very foundation of the world. Uh, God's uh, law stands eternal. Uh, and so when we took a look of all that, uh, you remember that Jesus was pointing out that uh, the importance of us not taking the place of uh, God as the judge uh, and that uh, in, in uh, taking that into consideration, it didn't mean that we are not to judge any situation whatsoever. Uh, we're not just to, to roll over and, and embrace everything there is. Matter of fact, uh, what Jesus was pointing out is the importance of making sure that you don't become the final judge of all things because that alone belongs to God. Uh, but instead, we're supposed to wisely discern what is right. And you remember um, back uh, a few weeks ago uh, in, when we looked at verse 6 of Matthew chapter 7, uh, Jesus even said you know, that we were to discern uh, those who were hostile towards the kingdom of God. 
uh, to assess who they are and to to recognize them, realizing that not everybody that uh, professes the name of Jesus Christ uh, or God the Father or God uh, is part of God's kingdom. And so, therefore, we have to be cautious and discern uh, those who are hostile towards God's kingdom. Uh, but the other example I gave is actually our text today. Uh, you remember I, I said that um, Jesus was pointing forth that we are to discern those who are false prophets, those who are false teachers. Uh, and that is our, our text for today. And so let's go ahead and, and dive right in as we take a look at verse 15. Because uh, it says here, uh, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, last week, you know, we, we took a look at uh, the two gates uh, that uh, represent two specific paths that are leading to two final destinations that are uh, filled with two different groups of people. As we took a, a look at the broad and the narrow way in our text last time. And the thing is, is we can learn from that is that just as there are two gates, two destinations, two groups, uh, that there are actually uh, two different, uh, you know, teachers. Uh, there's, a, there's a right and a wrong path, but there's also right and wrong teachers. Uh, and so we as believers in Jesus Christ need to make sure that uh, what is taught and what we listen to, uh, that it is actually the truth. And I think that this message here today uh, in relation to what Jesus, you know, preached on that, that mount uh, some 2,000 years ago uh, is even more applicable today. Because we live in a day and age where we have access to, you know, basically an unlimited amount of teaching. Uh, you know, it's not like when I grew up as, you know, in, in my early childhood, uh, where, you know, if you send a, a dollar or two to cover the, the expense of the shipping and the cassette tape, you can have the, the latest sermon from, say, John MacArthur. Uh, and had to wait for it to come in the mail. Uh, and that is not the case anymore. All you got to do is actually look at your phone, uh, and you can stream in all kinds of content. And so as we do that, you know, there are many teachers out there. The question that you need to ask is, are they right or wrong? Are they good or bad? And Jesus uses the word here in Greek, um, beware. Uh, it actually uh, can uh, be translated to take heed, to watch out or be on guard. So let me ask you a question. As you stream all kinds of content to your phones and through your computers and your house, you know, what are you listening to? Especially when it comes in relation to uh, the teaching of the Word of God. Are you taking heed? Are you watching out? Are you on your guard? Because you need to. You absolutely need to. And Jesus gives us a good reason why when he says, beware of false uh, prophets. Uh, because they will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now, see, false teachers and prophets are nothing new. Matter of fact, we can go back to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, as you know, was a true prophet of God that God had raised up to communicate his truth to his people. Uh, and Jeremiah did so. Uh, matter of fact, he was called the, the weeping prophet. Uh, as he looked over uh, uh, God's people and realized that their rebellion against him. But listen to what it says in, in chapter 23, verse 16, uh, as he is addressing the people. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. 
uh, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. So here is a prophet of God that God sent uh, for the purpose of communicating truth to God's people, telling them that the prophets you're listening to, you need to stop listening to them. Because all they are doing is they're speaking uh, and saying that this is uh, what I envisioned, uh, and it's only something that was in their own mind. It wasn't something that came from God. Uh, and so uh, as Jeremiah took uh, and, you know, communicated this truth and telling them not to listen to the words of the prophets that were prophesying to them is the same message that Jesus is saying, beware of false teachers. As a matter of fact, even in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, uh, as a sign of the close of the age, listen to what it says there. It says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise. And perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So who are the elect here? Well, the elect are those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Those who the Spirit have, have begun that work of regeneration, you know, opening their spiritual eyes to see spiritual things. Things that the natural man cannot see. And he uh, it says here that, there will be those that are false Christs, but also false prophets that will perform great signs and wonders. So they'll look as though they're genuine. Uh, they'll be able to do things that, you know, you, you won't expect to see them do. And if, if possible, to even lead astray the elect. Okay, so as believers in Jesus Christ today in 2020, the, the question is, are you being aware? Because you need to be aware. Uh, because there are those that are out there that are looking to deceive others. And sometimes even the false prophets themselves are deceived. Uh, they don't realize that they're actually vessels of communicating things that do not pertain to God. Uh, because they have allowed themselves to uh, seek their own glory as opposed to the glory of God. And you'll notice there, Jesus says, those who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now, wolves in uh, the, the New Testament time when Jesus was speaking to them was the most common natural predator of sheep. And the thing is, is wolves don't just go and attack at a whole herd of, of sheep. And the, and the wolf is going to uh, most of the time stay clear if there's a shepherd. What the wolf does, though, is it's a predator. And so it will watch to see when those sheep wander from where they should be under the care of the shepherd and uh, and the the power of being in a group of other sheep. And so that that wolf will wait for the opportune moment to fulfill its inward desire to be ravenous and to, to take the life of that sheep by robbing them of the truth. And so... You know, think about that, that picture of what a wolf will do. And I know it may seem like a, a gory example, but the fact is, is that's exactly what happens when we do not take time to beware of false prophets, because what they do is they rob us of the truth of God. And the thing is, if, if we are not spending time in this book as much as we possibly can, you know, more than just on Sunday, then we're not going to be able to identify those wolves. Because remember, what are they in? Sheep's clothing. So they look just like you and me. And the thing is, is, is even as a teacher myself, 
You know, I want you to study the word of God to make sure that what I preach is the word of God. And the moment that I start taking glory for myself and not giving glory to God should be a, a, a marker for you to realize that uh, maybe I'm not genuine. And the thing is, I, I check myself because guess what? I'm a sheep too. And even though I'm in the word of God a lot and I study the word of God and, and I pour over it, I have to guard myself. I have to beware. I have to make sure that I'm taking heed, that I am watching out and I'm out on my guard. Because what better way for Satan to mislead a whole group of individuals than by going to the shepherd himself and misleading that shepherd? So how can you tell? You know, I've, 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 you know, Jesus is putting forth this warning to beware of false prophets. You know, they, they come looking like us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So how can you tell? Well, Jesus didn't leave the crowd hanging. He actually told them exactly how they can tell. Uh, and so, again, uh, importance for us to understand and see, you know, God uh, through his son uh, giving us exactly what we need to, to face this problem we have. Because there are ravenous wolves out there, uh, and they are seeking to devour. Take a look at verse 16. I'm going to read the rest of the text this morning uh, through verse 20. It says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Pretty straightforward, pretty pretty common sense. Verse 19 says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, one of the things I've noticed later in my, my walk, uh, probably more in, in recent years, is noticing how oftentimes there are bookends two thoughts for us to get a, a good idea as if God is giving us, you know, the, the proverbial spiritual sandwich uh, or giving us the complete work from one end to the other of, of how we should take a look at things. And you'll notice there in verse 16, it says, you will recognize them, what? By their fruits. Okay, look at verse 20. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So the repetitive nature of that, those two bookends, you know, Jesus is letting us know this is what you need to look at. This is what you need to look for. This is what you're going to beware of, what you're going to take heed of, what you're going to watch out for and be on guard is for the fruit that comes from the teacher. What does it look like? See, the thing is, uh, as you look at those, you know, those two bookends, you know, ask yourself the question, what is the primary purpose of fruit bearing trees? To bear fruit, right? Okay, so if, if the primary purpose is to bear fruit, then we need to take a look and see what that fruit looks like. We need to utilize what we learned back in chapter one or chapter seven, verse one, that we are to, to judge the situation, we are to rightly discern the situation by taking a look at you know, what is uh, coming forth from that particular teacher? Is it a fruit that honors God? And we're going to take a look in, at some things that we should believe in, in order to discern in a few minutes. But 
The thing is, is you, you take and, and discern and you take a look at all of these teachers that you can literally just, you know, put in a feed so that they send you the latest teaching that they have and, and, and all those things is that um, sometimes it's going to be blatantly obvious. Sometimes you can look at a false teacher and say, oh, there's no way. And that's partially because, you, you know, you, you have this as an ability to take a look at and say there, there's no way, you know how they're living, what they're claiming, what they're putting forth. Um, just because, you know, well, another, for instance, you know, I worked in sales for a few years, something that I never really desired or wanted to do, but it was blatantly obvious that God need, needed to teach me some things. And there is definitely a difference between a slimy, oily salesman and a good, upright salesman. And there's more of the previous than there is of the latter. But you can tell. You know, when you watch TV, you watch those ads, and, you know, I think there's late late ones are coming out with, you know, going to car dealerships, you know, and how bad of an experience that can be. And right off the bat, you know, it's obvious. Well, sometimes it's that way with false teachers. But remember, sometimes it's not that blatant. Because remember, they're ravenous wolves that look like sheep, sound like sheep, walk like sheep but yet inside they are ready to devour when the opportune time comes. You know, this past week I, I had the opportunity to walk around the, the church building here with Tim Knowles. He's, he's on our property committee and, and actually has a, a good uh, background in being able to take care of bushes and, and fruit-bearing trees and all that kind of stuff because we're looking to replace some of the bushes around the building because you can see some of them are dying off and, you know, they're, they're, getting, they're past their, their prime. And we were walking across the front of the building here uh, this past week. And, you know, there was one bush out there. It was green. It didn't have any flowers on it. And to me, it just looked like a green bush. And Tim walked right up into it and he says, well, here, look at this bush. There's two bushes growing together as one. And because Tim has been trained in, you know, being able to identify those bushes, you know, what looked like just green leaves to me, because it had been formed into a, a nice bush. It had been taken care of and, and cut off by somebody else on our, our property committee to, to look good. But in reality, it was two separate bushes that had grown into one. But you see, Tim had the, the knowledge. He had the ability to look at that. And to him, it was blatantly obvious that there was two separate bushes. To me, it just looked like this, like a path with a bunch of green going down the you know on either side when it blooms you can tell the difference but to, to the naked eye if you're not trained if you're not being aware of your surroundings and haven't been trained that way you're not going to pick up on it and so you know tim you know i didn't realize it but gave me a perfect sermon illustration to be able to to share with you because that's exactly how it is when it comes to identifying false teachers and false prophets is is that you need to be a student of this book You need to know the word of God. You need to be more than just taking in the milk of the word. You need to be taking in the meat of the word so that you're no longer, you know, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, as the scriptures tell us. You need to know this book because it's going to equip you and give you the ability to look for those things. It gives you the ability to know that there are individuals out there that are actually like that, even within Christian circles. And that's something that had we not read this text, had Jesus not preached the Sermon on the Mount, you know what? We may not have ever recognized because they, they look good. They sound good. 
Even what they say is, is pertinent. You know, it can be applicable to your everyday life. But it's, it's just devoid of the power of God. It's devoid of the Spirit of God. Because it's just man's thoughts and man's ways that are maybe good for the average person to live their lives, but has no transforming power and does not have the ability to do what only the Word of God can do in the life of uh, everyone on this planet, but in particular, believers in Jesus Christ, those who are saved, those who are the elect, as it said in, in Matthew twenty four twenty four. We'll take a look, verses uh, 17 and 18. Uh, as it continues on in the text, actually the second half of verse 16. Uh, it says, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So let me stop there for a second because the obvious thing is, is that, okay, Pastor Bill, you know, thistles are not going to grow on a, a, a grape vine. Okay. You know, I think everybody can agree to that. And the, and the opposite is also true. The grapes aren't going to grow on a thistle vine. But the truth is, is that those two can grow up simultaneously right beside one another and it can look as if there's grapes on a thistle and maybe thistles on a grape you know and the thing is is being able to identify the difference because the thing is what is inside what is at the root base is what's going to come out in relation to that plant if it's a thistle root guess what's going to come out a thistle plant and if it is a grape root then guess what's going to come out grapes Okay, but they can grow up side by side and they can even look a lot alike, like the bush out front, until at which time they actually bloom and you get to see the fruit. See, it's important to know where the source comes from. Verse 17 says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Okay, again, common sense, you know, bad source, bad fruit, good source, good fruit. Verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Do you see what Jesus is doing here as he's painting this picture that would have been very much real life for really everyone uh, in that time frame? Because, you know, they did have markets, but, you know, the thing is, uh, you know, the stuff that you buy in the supermarket, and I'm probably speaking to the, the choir here because I know everybody has fruit trees here, but there's some people that don't realize where fruit comes from. Or where the meat in the supermarket comes from. Because if they knew where the meat came from, they probably wouldn't buy it. Um, the thing is, is that the right source will produce a righteousness and God-honoring result. So if God is the source, and if God is the one that's being glorified, then there is going to be a difference, a noticeable difference. As opposed to the false teacher who makes it all about himself, what he can get out of it, and how he is going to better your life somehow. And that's what you need to watch out for. Uh, John chapter 15, um, verses 7 and 8 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So how is it a disciple proved? By their fruit. And where does that fruit or source of fruit come from? Well, it comes from the source inside, which is abiding in God and God's words abiding in you. Because the thing is, everyone produces a fruit. Some good, some bad. So how do you know which is which? Well, you go to the source. Right source will produce a righteousness and God-honoring result. 
the, the inverse is also true, that a wrong source will produce a sinful and man-honoring result. See, we need to remember who our enemy is. You know, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 clearly states that Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. And he loves nothing better than to rob God of his glory and loves nothing better than to take teachers and fill their ears with things that are contrary to God's will and at the same time making it sound good to them. But see, even false teachers, they deceive, but they can also be self-deceived. They don't realize that that they're being used for uh, another purpose altogether when in, in all likelihood they're just doing it for their own personal benefit, not realizing that Satan is using them as well. And what is the final result? Take a look at verse 19 because it says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the, the bad fruit trees... All they are good for is to fuel the fire. And the thing is, this brings us back to the whole thing of remembering that God is the lawgiver and judge, that he knows and sees all because he sees into our very hearts and knows why we do what we do. And so he knows false teachers. He can see them perfectly. They cannot hide from him. But we cannot see all things. We do not know all things But we can trust the one who knows and sees all. And we can use exactly what he has given us so that we can make righteous and just judgments and discern rightly those who do not honor and glorify God. See, there's a truth that must be considered as we look at this text today is that genuine believers in Jesus Christ can be deceived by false prophets and teachers. Sometimes unknowingly. Sometimes, because we don't take the time to, to research and see that, well, that what they said about this is good, but what do they believe in relation to that doctrine? And that's an important exercise for us to do. Um, listen to what it says in, in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. It says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So in other words... If you don't spend time in this book, then guess what? You do know some things. You, may, you know things pertaining to salvation as a believer in Jesus Christ. You know that God loved the world so much that he gave his uh, one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But that's not going into what you would consider the, the, the solid uh, word. Uh, it says It goes on to say, since he is a child... So anyone who is on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness in relation to the word of God. And so therefore they're a child, just like in the physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm. Because if you don't feed yourself spiritually, then guess what? You're going to remain a spiritual child. Verse 14 goes on to say, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. Did you catch that? Even for those that are in the word of God, you need to be in there constantly because you're going to be constantly bombarded by falsehood. Because remember, Satan is continually trying to deceive and even possible the very elect. 
Because if he can grab hold of us and have us believing something that is contrary to the will of God, contrary to God himself, then he will, uh, you know, render us at that point uh, useless in relation to those things that pertain to godliness and, and living the, the life that God's called us to. But the constant practice gives you the ability to distinguish that which is good from evil. That's how you're going to know. Because sometimes it's not blatantly obvious. Because they're a sheep, just like you, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So in our final moments together this morning, what, what should believers use to discern those who are false prophets? Well, I'm gonna, I want to take a look at two areas. Uh, and these are, are a few of what I would consider some of the core non-negotiable beliefs in relation to the Word of God. So the first thing we're going to take a look at is doctrine. Taking a look at what the Bible says in relation to who God is, who we are, why we're here, and what's going to happen after we die. So ask yourself, as you listen to these teachers, what do they teach about Jesus? Because that's important, right? Because what's bringing us together today is Jesus Christ. So what do they teach about him? Do they hold to a virgin birth? You know, and you might think, well, that seems like a, a you know, a, a doctrine that's not really that necessary. Well, if Jesus's birth was not a miraculous birth, a virgin birth, to separate out Jesus so that the sin nature, which comes through Adam, which comes through the male, was not uh, replaced with that which was pure and holy and righteous, then we are still lost, dead in our trespasses and sins. Because matter of fact, it also gives testimony to uh, the, the Trinity, you know, the, the Godhead working together for that, that purpose of salvation, making sure that Jesus could be the Redeemer and the Savior, that he is the Son of God and can do something that no mere man can do. Yet taking on human flesh, but flesh that was was pure, and innocent like it was in the garden before the fall. Do they believe that Jesus is sin, the sinless son of God? Or was he just a good man? Was he just a prophet? You know, it might have some good things to say about, you know, helping you overcome anxiety, but at the same time might believe that Jesus is not the sinless son of God or not even the son of God at all. And why is it important for, for us to believe that Jesus is sinless? Because if Jesus is not sinless, then Jesus is no better than I am standing here right before you. Because he would be a sinful man. That's why he needed to be virgin born. That's why he lived a pure and sinless life. Something that none of us can do apart from God. Do they believe in his death, burial, and resurrection? And for obvious purposes, Yes, Jesus died. Yes, Jesus was buried. But the key there is the resurrection. Because God the Father put his stamp of approval on Christ's sacrifice and raised him from the dead, which is our hope and our joy that we know because Jesus was raised, because his sacrifice accomplished what it meant to do, that he was sinless, that he was obedient to the point of death on a cross, that God the Father raised him from the dead. And there are some in Christian circles that don't embrace that. They don't believe that. So should you listen to them for other things? Well, these are non-negotiable truths in relation to who Jesus is. What is their answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? 
You know, and this is an important one, and we actually talked about this at length last Sunday. So we took a look at the two different paths. You know, are there many ways to God? No, there's not. It's not something that man put into play. It was exactly what God said. There's one way, and that's Jesus Christ. Do they deny the reality of hell? Because there are those in Christian circles that deny that there's a real hell, a place of torment, a place that every last one of us deserves to go because we've rebelled against a sinless, holy, righteous, just creator, lawgiver. And so we deserve that punishment. But Jesus took that upon himself. It made it possible for me to not spend eternity in that place of torment, but in heaven with him, enjoying righteousness, enjoying uh, fellowship with God face to face. Do they advocate a workspace salvation? You know, is there other things that you need to do in order to be saved, or is it solely trusting Jesus Christ alone for salvation? You know, do they they believe what it says in Ephesians two eight and nine? For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves; it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. And do they teach that baptism is necessary for salvation? Because there are those in Christian circles that do believe that as well. Well, the Bible is clear. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. Baptism is a, an outward acknowledgement of what has already transpired, what has already taken place uh, when that sin debt was paid. And we are baptized to give testimony to the world so that they know we belong to Jesus Christ. Because if baptism was necessary, then Jesus lied to the thief on the cross. And the thief on the cross is right now in a place of torment. And God is not God. What do they teach concerning the sufficiency of the word of God? Do they see this book as God-breathed? That it goes beyond the, the authors, that God used their, their uh, abilities, that he used their, their personalities to write these books. But every word that's in this book is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. Do they believe that the Bible is the Christian role of faith and practice? You know, this is not an outdated old book that needs to have just a few of the principles in it applied to our lives every day that the world has not, you know, evolved beyond. Everything that's in this book is applicable today. And we need to see that. But they're, see, they're even in Christian circles saying, well, you know what? That's outdated. Because what it says about, you know, this particular sin or this particular people group or whatever the case might be, you know, the Bible just needs to catch up and become more relevant for today. No. The God of word, the word of God is timeless. It's eternal. And finally, in relation to doctrine, do they believe in the Trinity? And this is one where, you know what, there are many in, in Christian circles that don't believe in the Godhead, don't believe that there is one eternally existent creator God consisting of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have precisely the same nature, attributes, and perfections. Each one has a role in relation to everything pertaining to everything. And you cannot split that up. You cannot ignore it. And the moment that you begin to uh, capitalize on one aspect of that Godhead, you, it ceases to be the Godhead. 
Another area you can take a look at in relation to this and ask questions is in their lifestyle. Does their talk match their walk? You know, and this is some some things where you can see outwardly, uh, you know, in relation to how they live their lives. Listen to what it says in Colossians 1.10. It says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So as you take a look at their lifestyle and how they, they handle themselves and what they, they live for, what does it tell you? You know, as you, as you discern and you look at that, and then you look at the Word of God and see what, uh, you know, someone who has been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is supposed to look like. You know, do they, do they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, not worthy of the world? Bearing fruit in every good work. Do they do good works for others for the glory of God, or do they do good works for themselves for their own glory? Are they increasing in the knowledge of God, or is it the same message over and over again that is somewhat pertinent depending upon where you are in life? Are there good principles for living, but yet lack the, the truth and the conviction of the word of God? Second, are they led by the Spirit, and therefore exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit? We know the, the classic passage in Galatians chapter 5. You know, uh, you probably have the first part memorized, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But it continues to go on, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So when we take a look at that, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. It reminds me of 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, where it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So as you take a look at those who you are looking to for guidance and for teaching, does their life look like it is led by the Spirit or led by the desires and the passions of the flesh? Those are the things that you need to look for. And are they exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit? Because every believer, upon putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is given the Spirit of God fully. And that Spirit, along with the Spirit, comes the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And finally, are they humble? John chapter 7, uh, verses 16 through 18. Says uh, Jesus answered them, "My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me." So Jesus is saying that what I'm telling you is coming from God the Father, because God the Father sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. So there's a noticeable difference when someone is preaching the Word of God, as opposed to someone who is just preaching what they think in their head or things that they come up with. Verse 18 says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So does that teacher teach the word of God as truth that transforms not only the, the, the one who is teaching, but to the ones he is communicating to as well? See, Jesus knew the importance of making sure that we are to beware of false teachers. 
And the thing is, is that I'm a sheep too. And so even as I study the Word of God and I spend time in it, and I, I look outside of the Word of God for, for you know, knowledge from others that, you know, uh, have come before us, those that are, are currently living with us that are, uh, you know, more mature in their faith, I need to make sure that I am, too, guarding myself, that I am taking heed, that I'm watching out, because there are many false teachers. And we need to make sure, as those who belong to God, that we're taking the time to not remain children, but becoming mature in our faith. And we do that by being in the Word of God, by surrounding ourselves with other believers, and uh, surrounding ourselves and, and having our ears hear the teaching of the Word of God for the glory of God, period. So Jesus is warning here because he knows that the religious leaders of his day were false teachers, false prophets. They were misleading the people into believing things that did not pertain to God, but only pertain to their desire to, in some way, uh, seek control over, but also add to the very law of God, doing something that no man has the authority to do. So may we be students of the word. May we know what the word of God teaches. And may our lives, our lifestyles exhibit that. But also as we look to others for for hope and for guidance and direction, may that same filter be what we used to identify those that are good for us as opposed to those who are evil for us. Let's close in a, a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for uh, this text today. Um, it's a sobering text uh, because uh, there's a, an innate sense where we want to trust people uh, and we want to, you know people to show themselves or give them an opportunity to show themselves uh, as good and real, you know, realizing too, though, that we live in a fallen, sinful world and that even those who are good can be misled. Uh, and even those that are bad uh, can mislead those who are good. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would help us to be wise in how we, we, we look at those that we listen to, uh, that they would have the, the earmarks of those that look and, and give glory to you and you alone. Uh, Lord, because you are worthy, you are due. And uh, may you just guard each and every one of our church family. Uh, to those uh, listening online, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, help them to, to, to know the difference and that, uh, Lord, they may take the opportunity to realize that there are many good teachers out there, uh, people that do not mislead, uh, but be able to, to distinguish and to know the difference, to discern, to judge rightly uh, as you give us the opportunity to do so. Uh, Thank you for this time this morning, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for coming this morning. I trust that uh, our time of worship together as we lifted our voices, as we spend some time in prayer, and as we open up the Word of God together uh, has challenged you, but also drawn you closer to the Lord today.